0: must admit, I'm a lot like you. I listen to the singing, and I'm just entranced. And then Zach has to say, come on, come on. (laughs) You would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 19. And as you're turning, I I always like to tell a little story when I'm doing this. And uh, when I was... uh, Studying this passage, and Paul was talking about all the things that he was before he became a Christian. It reminded me of when I was a sailor, and uh, my ship, the USS Pratt, pulled into uh, a harbor on the Mediterranean. And it was a very special uh, port call because we were going to be inspected by a three-star admiral. So it's a really big deal. And I mean, we went ridiculous cleaning that ship. Uh, we, we, anything that had a little tiny piece of rust, it was gone. Uh, we went and looked at the instructions on the passageways, and uh, if, if a piece of lettering had, had gone off, we took a pen and carefully filled it back in so that if, if the Admiral read it, it would be perfect. And uh, we even stopped before we pulled into port, and we lowered the, the bosun mate over the side uh, in a motor whale boat, and he painted this ship, all the way to the waterline. And I mean, we were looking good. Anything you could think of, we figured it out, right? And so uh, the captain made arrangements for the, uh, all of our uniforms to be dry-cleaned and, and looking good. I mean, we were manning the rails when we came into port, and I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, it's really impressive. And the admiral came on board, and he walked past every one of us, and he had his little grandson with him, little six-year-old grandson. And uh, he walked to the bow of the ship, and we're all standing at attention, and we're just beautiful. We had white uniforms, black shoes totally polished. Our hats didn't have any creases on them. They were just beautiful, shaved perfectly. I mean, we were rock stars. And... Uh, he, he walked up to the pointy part of the ship. He turned back around. He inspected all of us. He seemed pleased. And we knew if we pleased him, the captain would be pleased, and the captain would give us all sorts of wonderful liberty in this city. And so we were all jazzed because we knew we were ready. Admiral's got his six-year-old grandson behind him, right? And he gets on the mess decks, And the grandson, for some reason, looks under a table and goes, Look, Grandpa, look at all that chewing gum. And I mean to tell you, that admiral and his whites looked under every table. Every single one. And uh, when he left the ship, uh, he had made a note of the chewing gum. And... uh, for the rest of our crews, everybody knew, if you're going to inspect the USS Pratt, look under the mess tables. So the captain, he forbade chewing gum. He banished chewing gum off his ship. And we had to go without chewing gum for the rest of the cruise. And what got me was Paul was excellent in all the things that he did to please the Lord according to what he knew. But there was always the matter of the chewing gum. The passage reads, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, one who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son. I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by them you may strongly engage in battle having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have suffered the shipwreck of their faith. The gum incident is similar to what happened to the Apostle Paul in a spiritual sense. He thought he was pleasing God. He thought that his spiritual house was in order. He followed the law and he thought he was a clean person. Then he was shown how evil and unclean he really was, and was actually the light of Christ that knocked him off of his arrogance pony. Paul, who was known as Saul at that time, met Jesus on the Damascus road. He saw himself for what he really was a sinner before God. And he even took on the title, the chief of sinners. This is from the letter that the Apostle Paul, who had this Damascus Road experience, is writing to his disciple Timothy. At the very first chapter, Paul is giving Timothy this trustworthy saying. Paul emphasizes that this is a sure word. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There is no reason to think that Timothy is going to reject this saying. After all, he is a son in the faith of Paul. But Paul wants to emphasize how trustworthy this saying is. He makes the point that it is worth full acceptance. This saying that can be depended on and relied on, this saying is foundational to Christianity. Paul emphasized not only is this saying absolutely trustworthy, but it is also worthy of full acceptance. The idea that of approval, that this is a welcome statement. Paul is saying, Timothy, this next statement you're about to read is of paramount importance. You must accept it without hesitation. You must not have any doubt about this statement. I can only say that for you reading this now, it is of paramount importance to every one of you. You must accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save Sinners. Here is the essence of the Christian faith. This statement contains everything we do at Christmas and Easter. This is the purpose statement of Jesus. It becomes our purpose statement as Christians. This statement captures the heartbeat of the entire Bible story from Genesis to Revelation. The purpose of Jesus' coming was to save sinners. Don't let anything sidetrack you. Out of that one message, everything in the Bible makes sense in the light of this statement. Remember your Old Testament. When God called Abraham, he called him to bless all the families of the earth. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. And that's found in Genesis 12.3. This makes sense when you know the purpose of Jesus coming was to save sinners. When Joseph was led to Egypt and his family joined him and the Jews were there for 400 years, this makes sense when you know the purpose of Jesus' coming was to save sinners. When God raised Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt, this makes sense when you know the purpose of Jesus' coming was to save sinners. When the prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, and Malachi said, makes sense when you know the purpose of Jesus' coming was to save sinners. The stories of Ruth and Esther make sense when you know the purpose of Jesus was to save sinners. It all leads to one central point. It leads to a focus of history that God simply calls the fullness of time. God sent forth of his son, born of a virgin, Not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. The purpose of our church, this church that we're seated at in these very comfortable pews, the purpose of your church and the purpose of every New Testament church is to tell this good news that Jesus came to save sinners. When I was comparing my life to the righteousness of God, there was no denying that I was a sinner and needed Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was 11 years old when I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And some of you are thinking, well, what kind of sin could an 11 year old boy get into that made him need a Savior? And if you ask some of the people at my church, they say, oh, God, you got to know Ed. <laughs> he needed Jesus, he needed him bad. When I compare my life to the righteousness of God, there was no doubt that I was a sinner and I needed Jesus Christ as my Savior. I accepted Jesus Christ. I asked God for Jesus' death on the cross to pay for my sins. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the Spirit. And that's found in 1 Peter 3.18. After accepting Jesus Christ, my life, drastically changed. I went from a godless lifestyle to serving Christ. People who hardly knew me would ask my friends, what happened to Ed? Others came to me and said, I seemed completely changed. You seem more at peace, they would say. God continued to move through all the things that I did as going into the Navy, going into college, going to get my master's at my seminary. God moved me and changed things in my heart. I had an idea of what I wanted to be when I grew up. And God showed me that that was not the way he had for me. God showed me that my place was in a pulpit in the army chaplaincy. But God also showed me my place was to be a witness where I was. Telling people about Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus himself said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is why Jesus willingly humbled himself to the point of death. Even the death on a cross, that was God's plan for the salvation of sinners. That is the good news, especially if you're a sinner. And I can say also, I have been the worst. The Apostle Paul not only identified himself as a sinner, but as the worst sinner. He was the chief of sinners, the foremost, the first in rank. he tells tell us why he thought this way. Now, many of you, you met Paul in the book of Acts. And Paul saw this Christian religion starting to rise. And he knew he had to put it to death. So he got letters of authority from the chief priests. And he went to these places where these little Christian churches were popping up. And he would have disciples stoned to death. Deacons stoned to death. I'm not saying new deacon, whoever you are, we're going to stone you to death. But I'm just saying, it can come to that. The idea is that when they were stoning Stephen, Paul was there. And I don't know if you've ever taking off your jacket to engage in some kind of physical activity. But Paul was there with his arms out, taking their robes, holding them so they wouldn't be on the ground as they proceeded to stone Stephen to death. And he was delighted at what happened. This is exactly what I was here for. God, I'm doing your will. I'm killing Christians. I'm doing your will. And as he was traveling to Damascus, Jesus appeared to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul went from, as I mentioned, a beautiful, clean ship that would pass any inspection to nothing but gum under the tables. It was a terrible fall. Paul went from, I'm doing your job, Lord. I'm doing what you called me to do. I'm killing Christians for you. I'm doing a good thing. Jesus said, no, you're not. You're killing me. And Paul was converted on that road after he saw the living Lord. If the apostle Paul recognized himself as the worst sinner with no other hope but in God, where does that leave you and me? Even worse than worse, I suppose. Paul saved, correction, God saved Paul as an example of mercy. And if he can save Paul... God can save anyone. When I was in the Navy, I met a fellow who was uh, an operations specialist radarman like me. And he'd been a heroin addict. And somehow, through the grace of God, he got free of that heroin. And he was able to join the Navy. And he was telling any of the, of the 18 and 19-year-olds, don't even try it. Don't even go close to it. Don't even partake of it if anybody tells you here's here's some marijuana have it have a little toke on it he said slap them in the face slap them in the face don't let them get you anywhere near it because that's how i became a heroin addict and he said i got free of it i I," he said "It, it took a miracle to get me free but i'm free he said that he also knew of somebody, and he knew this is where he had to change. Because my buddy said, uh, you know, heroin addicts, they tend to stick together. And he said, we were, we were close to some train tracks, and uh, I had passed out. And I woke up because someone was horribly screaming. And he went out to, to find out who was screaming. It was his buddy who had gotten up in the night and had passed out on the train tracks and lost an arm when the train ran over it and he said to himself no more no more and it was a long climb out of it God had a lot of mercy and my friend became a drug-free and able to join the Navy most people would have given up on him But what about you where sin abounds grace abounds More. Christ died for you, he died for your sins. To be a good moral person is meaningless when you stand before God. If you can imagine the Apostle Paul looking into the light of the risen Christ and realizing that all the things you tried to do for God was wrong, to be a good moral person is meaningless. Because whose morality are you following? Paul is an example of the kind of sinner Christ came to save. The worst kind. Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I don't know if you've ever gone to Israel. I don't know if you've ever gone to a synagogue. I don't know if you've ever been a part of the Jewish faith. But... Jesus told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Both of these men walked in to the synagogue. And the Pharisee stood up by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Tax collector. Wouldn't even stand at the altar. Wouldn't even stand. He stood there with his head bowed low and he beat his breast and said, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. Tax collectors were sent by the people in authority to try to get anything they could off the people, money-wise, property-wise, whatever. And the more they got, the more in statue they were. So in other words, they were able to rob legally. Does that sound familiar to you? They were able to rob legally. But even they would come to a point when they realized, even though they had a perfect right to do it because the law said they could, they knew they were wrong. And this tax collector, who was considered the most despised of all the professions in Israel, this man beat his breast and said, God have mercy upon me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. Luke 18 tells us, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who are humble themselves will be exalted. I remember I was, when I was in Israel, uh, I read a, a tablet, and uh, it was translated for me. My Hebrew wasn't that good back then. And the man was praying, and he said, God, if there are 50 righteous men in my town, Lord, I am glad that, my, that me and my son are those righteous men. This was a prayer. And then he said, God, if there are ten righteous men in this town, God, I'm happy that my son and I are among those ten righteous men. And Lord, if there are five righteous men in this town, I am proud and I am happy that my son and I are among those righteous men. And Lord, if there's one righteous man in this town, thank you that I'm that righteous man. Now that was a prayer. And we we look at that and we scratch our heads and say, how can you pray that? How can you possibly pray that? But that's what religious arrogance looks like. That's what religious arrogance looks like when you do something like that. But guess what? There was no salvation for that man. The tax collector couldn't even look up to heaven. And God justified him. Now let's look at the last two verses of our passage of today's scripture. Timothy's call to preach and be the pastor at Ephesus was confirmed by many outside of Paul. Paul was charging young Timothy to fight the good fight. However, this was in church. You don't really think about pastors fighting a good fight in church. However, Timothy was to guard what was being taught. And that was a great problem because, you see, just like in the time of Timothy, in the time just as it is today, people do not know their Bibles and they're open to false doctrine. Because it was in the church, it was an uphill battle. Timothy was young and he was going up against some of the elders of the church. And Paul tells young Timothy to fight that good fight. It's going to be a fight. The New King James Version says, You may wage the good warfare Uh, The Christian Standard Bible, which is my personal favorite. Strongly engage in battle. uh, Translated directly from the Greek, it's a military term. To fight like a soldier, the good campaign or war. Our call as Christians is to battle because, as with Timothy, error and evil are all around. We are to fight like a soldier. Now, you might say, well, what was the problem back in the day? We call them heresies. One of Timothy's heresies was genealogy. Here are Christians who are saved by Christ. They're Jews. They're saved by Jesus Christ. And yet they can't get away from the 12 tribes of Israel thing. And they would say, well, I'm of the tribe of Levi. So I'm always going to be a better Christian than you. God is always going to regard me higher because I'm of that tribe. You know, here's a man saved... By the grace of God. What you did in the past, who you were in the past, makes no difference. You're saved by God. I'll make an admission to you. I got a kick out of LeVar Burton. Many of you know who LeVar Burton was. He played uh, a slave in Roots, and then he went on to be in Star Trek, played a chief engineer on the Starship Enterprise. His name was LeVar Burton. And uh, he was on a show, and on that show, they traced his roots and they found out that he had an ancestor that fought in the civil war on the side of the confederacy and that boggled his mind he couldn't believe it and i too have got relatives that fought on the side of the confederacy and people would look at me and say well that's just you you just you're just a bad seed you had people that fought on the side of the confederacy 165 years ago yeah that is my fault i I messed up somehow but the point is that i can't help my past and that's why jesus came to die for me and you we can't help our past and we find ourselves doing evil things because we don't know the lord But these people believed that because they were of the 12 tribes of Israel, they were always going to be a better Christian than anybody else, including the Gentiles. There was another heresy called the Gnostic heresy that they were dealing with. And you might, when I read this to you, you might recognize some of the nonsense going on in our society today. Gnosticism is the Greek word when we get our word knowledge. The Gnostics felt they had a special insight and knowledge of God and His secret work at working. They were dualist, meaning they held to the dual nature of the cosmos, to the world and the universe. They believed that the cosmos consisted of both the spiritual and the material, and we believe that also. We are not materialists who believe that matter just organized itself by mechanical reactions that are innate in matter. We believe that God, who is spirit and immaterial, created matter in the universe. The Gnostics also believed this, but the Gnostics got into trouble very quickly with how they believed God created the world. The Gnostics gave it their best guess that if God, who is spirit, is good, then matter, which is the opposite of God, must be evil. They postulated that if God is good, and then since matter is not God, then how can God create an evil world? Their solution was to suggest that God created a being who, since he was not God, was necessarily less than God. This being created another being who therefore was less than him. And the process of creation goes on infinitely until by some infinitesimal calculus, a creature was so far removed from God that he was able to create the world which was matter, the opposite of God and evil. And when you take the time to check out Gnosticism, you will find there was a lot of variation in Gnostic thought as it developed by various proponents and systems. When people tried to think of Christ in terms of Gnostic principles, Jesus and knowledge became responsible for the creation of evil matter. This is Gnosticism. By Jesus, the world that came into existence could be redeemed by enlightenment that came from secret practices, Gnostic thought tried to co-opt Christ and redefine him in philosophical, mystical, and mythological terms. Christ became a sterilized abstraction that you could use to build your own religion and to manipulate people. Gnosticism became a distraction to be consumed with the flesh to mistake any sense of enlightenment with being on the way to escape this present evil world. Instead of Jesus being God supreme, he became the low man on the totem pole at the polar extreme opposite of God. You might say, well, that's one heresy there, Pastor. My goodness. Yeah, and guess what? They had to fight against it. Do we have any heresies that are on the same level that beset us today? Oh, yes, we do. One of the worst heresies of our church today is despite the clear message of what salvation really is and who needs it, there are supposed Christian people who will say, all you need to do is be a good person and God will welcome you into heaven. And I've had to fight that heresy in my own family. The Bible says in Romans 3.12, All have turned away, all alike have become useless. There is no one that does what is good, not even one. We have heresies that we witness daily, and we say nothing. One of the big heresies that we fight are what we're fighting right now, with this basket of baby bottles. There are ladies, young ladies, that get pregnant. And they're told, even by people in church that you need to go see the doctor and get rid of that. You need to take care of that. Just get rid of it. And you know the young mother is being told by someone who's quite older, and, and she believes it. She believes that she must know what she's talking about. And so she goes to the abortion clinic, and she gets the pill that ends her pregnancy. Or if it's too far along, she gets the operation that ends her pregnancy. As a counselor and a chaplain in the military, I can't begin to tell you how many young ladies have come to me, sat me down and said, chaplain, I did this. I killed my baby. I can't live with it. And so in the best terms that I'm able to do, I talk to them and I say, and I explain to them that you did this out of ignorance, but there's forgiveness through God our Father. And there's treatments that you can go through to help you deal with the guilt that you're feeling right now. And I would say, it is good that you're feeling this guilt. It is good that this is painful to you. Because you know better than anybody that abortion is not something you should do. But yet, it's become a heresy in the church. I knew a chaplain who had that very same conversation with a young lady. And somebody, just happened to be a young lieutenant, heard the story was listening outside the chaplain's door, eavesdropping. And when the young lady came out, he followed her down the hall and said, were you satisfied with what that that chaplain told you? And she said, no, not really. Well, I'm going to help you write him up. We're going to get him kicked out of the Navy for saying that sort of thing. Southern Baptist. And what wound up happening, uh, they got into a big bug tussle uh, the commander of the base was too stupid to understand that a military chaplain has to follow the rites and practices of his Baptist faith. He can do nothing else. And when he tried to burn that chaplain, it didn't go through. But what it did do was the chaplain had to retire at 20. He had a great career ahead of him, just past the 20, and yet he had to retire at it. This kind of battle is still happening. This kind of fight is still being waged. And I I mentioned it happened to someone I knew in the military chaplaincy, but it happens to pastors all over the place when they're being forced into believing that maybe you don't have to have the baby, maybe you can do something else. It's a heresy that's crept into the Christian church. And anytime you have an opportunity to stand against it, please do. What is another heresy? I see it on bumper stickers. God is love. And God doesn't care about same-sex marriage as long as there's love. But that's not what the Word of God says. Whole denominations are falling away because they have bought into the lie. I've had Presbyterians contact me and say, How can I become a Baptist, Ed? And I talked to them about it. And what made them leave the, the Presbyterian church? When the Presbyterian Church voted and said that the Bible is not the Word of God, the Bible only contains the Word of God. And so they were able to pick and choose what Bible passages they wanted to follow. I am every day grateful for our Baptist faith. For we have stood firm. And we have said, take that nonsense down the road. It's not in my Bible. We're not going to follow it. The scriptures say in Hosea, the fourth chapter, verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. When you know the word of God, and these people bring this nonsense into your life, you know it's nonsense. And you can tell them that's total nonsense. But let me tell you about a Savior that loves you. Let me tell you about a Savior that wants to save you. Let me tell you about a God that wants to rid you of that horrible thing you're thinking of doing. Let me help you. Let me get you what you need so that you might be righteous before God. Fight the good fight, Paul tells Timothy. And he doesn't say fight the good discussion. Verse 19 mentions a word that is deadly to sailors. And that word is shipwreck. Satan is out to shipwreck your faith. But generally, we have no problem jumping in the car with him when he offers us a ride. We have a sinful bent in our soul that is not erased by the new birth. Paul is warning Timothy, and the same warning goes toward us doctrine is extremely important what you believe is deadly serious not in the case of not only in the case of eternal destiny but in the case of determination of our choices in this life our world sets traps for us every single day for us to fall into open mindedness of our institution of higher learning to the entertainment and social media industry that distracts and paints unrealistic pictures of how we should look our cultural acceptance of immorality, and our liberal lifestyle examples. Our medical field says that whatever's bothering you, we can fix it. We've got a diagnosis for everyone, and we got drugs that can take care of you. Our government helps us to maintain poverty, subsidize debt, and undercut marriage. I want you, if you get a chance, and I don't know how many of you are Internet savvy, but go to the internet and put in President Argentino, Argentina Davros uh, Economic Summit. And what you will find is a lecture <coughs> from the president of Argentina. And he tells them in that lecture that a hundred years ago, Argentina embraced socialism. When we did that, we were in the top five countries in the world and we embraced socialism. And now, a hundred years later, we're 140th in the world. Socialism promises things, but it cannot deliver. Christianity promises things and it delivers every single time. When we believe the promise that Christ gives us, And I'm going to have to take a deep breath for this, but I love it so much. Christ redeems, delivers, saves, forgives, rescues, restores, empowers, overcomes, breaks, heals, loves, cares, comforts, carries, speaks peace, removes condemnation and guilt, repairs brokenness, (coughs) frees us, watches over, shepherds, feeds us, shelters, provides, protects, opens eyes, grants repentance, changes our desires, replenishes, fills up, sanctifies, and pronounces righteousness over all who believe in His life, death, burial, and resurrection. Have you ever experienced the most important thing that could ever happen to you? I know many of you have. You know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. But has the light of God revealed to you as it did to Paul on the Damascus highway? That you got things in your life that you really ought to be rid of. Some attitudes that really ought to go. And I would encourage you today to cry out to God. Put your faith in Christ. Let Him write what was once shipwrecked. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of what you can do. You can take a $4 violin and turn it into a $1,000 masterpiece. Lord, you can take our lives and our hearts, and you can make a difference in this world. If only we will allow you to do it through us. Lord, help us to come to the consensus that Jesus is the only thing that truly died and forgave us of our sins. Let us come to the conclusion and never waver from it That we all need Jesus, not just for salvation, but to guide our lives. Let us never forget this. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand with me.